Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, this morning we come to chapter 11, a whole new chapter. Uh, Six more to go. Well, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Six more to go. Which would take us about... I don't know, a year or so, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, don't ask me, I really don't know, uh, as long as they take. Um, chapter 11, I heard some preachers and teachers say that they would rather just pass by it or scrape over it. John MacArthur says to his congregation, when speaking to him and about to address them, and as he opened up chapter 11, he said this, he tried to put it off as long as possible. Um, and what I think makes a, a difficult subject, or makes this such a difficult subject, is that we have to understand that which is cultural, where Corinth matters and what is universal and still stands today. Often we get uh, we get that mixed up, and for these reasons, these verses. Uh, Many feel they're not applicable today because they were for that culture and that specific um, address that Paul was addressing at the time. Now people say, well, that's cultural. It's no longer effective or applicable for today's society. Yes, there are cultural issues in which we'll address over the weeks. But even in the cultural issues, it does not make the verses become invalid. One of the great arguments as to not take heed to the verses is that Paul was only sharing his personal opinion and not the authority or the inspiration of Scripture or God. Uh, where do you stop when you start that? Where do you stop when it was just Paul's opinion? Or it was just simply, oh, he was addressing that for then and it's irrelevant now. We're not living in those times anymore. What do you decide to pick and choose what's acceptable to you? Where is the blueprint for that? Where would the protection be from our own minds and our flesh for what you pick and choose about what you like? Yet what we see and hear all the time in order to change scripture is to do so in order to suit people's desires and wants, needs, fears. Ambitions, I'd love to keep going of course. Now let me just before I do, it starts in the world, then it filters its way into the church. This is how norms begin. They start in the world, in the mind of men, and then slowly but surely they start to filter in, slowly but surely, into the church. And then, as John MacArthur said in other subjects, it starts to demand acceptance. Uh, I've heard John MacArthur saying that in other subjects when it comes to the charismatics and the charismatic chaos and all sorts of stuff that goes on in that movement. It filters its way in and then it demands acceptance. It demands that that is the norm and, uh, and even in church they'll use scripture to justify it by saying, well that was just Paul speaking to that or that was an Old Testament thing that's no longer relevant or that was Paul addressing an issue in Corinth that was 2,000 years ago or, uh, and, and it, it doesn't matter the same. Uh, I would love to keep going without mentioning the subject of course. Uh, that's just a wee, you know, like, what subject is it? For you who are following it and, and being a bit in advance in what I'm reading, um, you'll know but for those who don't, I don't want to keep you in suspense any longer. Chapter 11, well, the first half of chapter 11, um, Paul is addressing the role of women. Not just the role of women in church, the role of women, period. And that becomes now a very sticky and hotly contested subject, not just in church, but in society and in the world today. And I've said much of the church has now outlawed the principles. The world has forced its way in 
to what it demands acceptance of. And it's became a, a fight to wipe out any of these values which Paul says or instructs, of course, all in the name of equality. Yet Paul is not talking about equal. He's not talking about whether we're equal or not. Of course we're equal in the eyes of God, no. And people would quote that, we're neither Jew nor Gentile nor Greek nor this. We're all one in Christ here. We're placing women in a lower value. We're not placing them in a lower value, just a different position. And today that's changed greatly. Of course, back in the times in Corinth, women were in many aspects. In some aspects of the society, they were no classed as equal. Women were abused, just the exact same today. Just the exact same today, you'll see it in marriages, in relationships, in some work environments where they're bullying going on, in other environments where women are sexualised, you'll see them not being treated well or equal or respected or honoured. That's no different for then. And nobody's endorsing that. But also in Corinth, what had happened is, is there were many women, they were also abusing their liberty. And therefore losing all sight of their role and their identity and who they were in Christ. And their purpose. And how they serve as a subordinate, as a support, as a help. Equal in every way, but not equal in role. Complementarianism would be the word in which you would hear used, which we would greatly, greatly endorse as eldership and leaders of this church. Today the fight for women's equality is not about role, is it? It's about equal. If it was about role, I would meet more roofers. You ever noticed, I was thinking about this this morning when I was brushing my teeth. I was, I never wrote it down. I was thinking about this this morning. And I'm all sore and I was walking to the, the sink and I'm a bit battered and bruised from my tent making job. And I thought, no, see, I've met a lot of men and women roofers and roughcasters who want to work in January. <laughs> Talk about quality. No many of them, are they? The quality always seems to be in, in hierarchy roles, isn't it? Oh. I have never met I'm 35 years. 38. 16, do your math, 35, 36 years, 36 years I've been tent making in my role, I've never met a woman roughcaster yet, you know why, it's too hard, it's freezing, you want to be equal, why are they no more them, no, in the church we can now have Oh, at the end of the day, but if we're all capable, why? Equal rights. Put that on your van, James. Equal rights. Equal op. We are an equal opportunities company. We're looking for more women to run about roofs in the winter. <laughs> no. In the church, we can have now women pastors. In fact, it's an alarming rate. Drive by these places, now you can still get them in Church of Scotland, different places. I always look at the billboard. You know, it gives me a great insight. Usually the name above the billboard and tell me what kind of church it is and what denomination it is gives me a greater insight. But if I don't get a great insight for the denomination, I, I certainly, the next level is the name under it. Reverend, and then it's some Isabel or Janice. As soon as I see that, I'm like, right, okay, that's not a church now. It's no longer a church. It's not something you should attend and disagree with. It's not a church. You don't have any part of it. Women elders. An elder has to be the husband of one wife. Go and explain that. What? An elder has to be the husband of one wife. So how can a woman be an elder? Well, in a day society you probably could. I'm the man, you're the woman. Women preachers, women prophets, no, they can. No. Women that pray, women that prophesy. What's prophesy? No, what's, what's praying? Praying's talking to God. 
What's prophesying? Talking to people about God. Nobody says you can't do that. The question isn't whether you can do it or not. The question is, is where you're allowed to do it. People say, oh, Philip. Philip the evangelist has got four daughters. They're all prophets. Didn't he tell you where they preached? John MacArthur says this. I'll guarantee you where they didn't he preach in the church. They have made that different from its function. That's wrong in so many levels. Where is the grounds of these things? Well, it's sure no scripture. Although they will try and use that in church. Outside the church, they don't care about God's word. You know, when we became, when the word was found in this church, there were things that we needed educated on. And there were things that we needed no education on. I was talking to somebody a while back who's came from a, a more pragmatic setting and they're married, I think, to a, a, a believer. And I think the woman is still no sure because she likes, because she, she used to do stuff and they're no sure and they're working on it. And I'm like, there's nothing to work on. It's as clear in the nose in your face. Some things you have to work out. There is no working out. The minute that we... The word was found in this church. Many other things had to get worked out. We had to get educated on communion, understanding biblical communion in the right way and how to fence the table and take it. We had to understand membership and still learning that and unpacking that, the, how, we, how we orchestrate the church leadership, eldership. Some of that stuff had to get worked out, the roles and different things we had to understand. We've had to work it out. No, uh, working out, uh, biblical worship how, how we deal with that rule of women well we dealt with that in 20 minutes as soon as that was it it was gone because it was so black and white you had no argument after it um, I remember writing to Dr MacArthur because it was a hotly contested subject I was at the bat I was at a uh, I think it was a Truth Matters conference it was in uh, Grace Community Church and that guy interviews him what's his name? Todd Friel. Todd Friel. Todd Friel says you have to submit to government at all times, no matter what. Romans 13 says it. That's no right. Uh, so let me just say that. Just, you know. Todd Friel gets less heat than Alistair Begg. I think he's, nearly, I think he's as equally as wrong at times. Anyway, let me just fire that out. Uh, anyway, uh, and some people, it just depends on the hot topic whether you get no. So I, I, I've, there are other guys doing just as wrong for me. Um, He's one of them for me, uh, and that subject, which is even hot, even as, as equally as, as, as bad for me. Anyway, Todd Friel was interviewing John MacArthur the thing, and he said one word. He says Beth Moore, and John MacArthur off the cuff said this. We were there. There were quite a few days there, and we heard the whole context of it after it. But he just says, "Go home, <laughs> go home, stay in house, basically." But it was, a, it, was a, it was a great answer, and, he and then he, he furnished it. But after that, we, we were at the very infancy of our, our Reformation. And uh, I remember writing to Dr. MacArthur, and one of the first things I wrote, or one of the paragraphs I wrote, I think I read it out to you, was about how women have embraced true biblical femininity in this church from day one. It was never a problem for them. It liberated them. It didn't contain them. It liberated them. It set them free. Because they were putting themselves under so much pressure. We were putting them under so much pressure to, to do a job that they were unqualified for. I don't care who you are as a woman. And I hope you're listening here. I don't care who you are as a woman. You can't preach like me. Because a woman don't have, doesn't have the authority to preach like us. Oh, and we, we used to speak about it. No, Vicky used to speak and stuff. And she still does to women. That's fine. Rachel, before she came here, spoke at another church. I think she was destined to be the next Joyce Meyer. Oh, I mean, thank God she get free for that stuff. But he, here's the issue. What they preached is predominantly been and talking to men was 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 appalling, utterly appalling. And I, I know they still carry the wounds and the scars for that. I sometimes have a laugh with Rachel about it. You're the best. You could have made it if you never if you never became reformed. You would have been the next Priscilla Shira. She goes, oh no, and she sends me a message. Oh, don't even say that. It's so embarrassing. Too right it is. Uh, but that's what it was, and it's, it demands acceptance in that. And uh, Dr. MacArthur gave great answers. I have to say this, and I'll say it at the end. Of all the commentaries that I read, 
And I, I don't always say this. Sometimes I prefer others to others. And all the, and all the commentaries I read and everybody I've heard, I've never heard MD better on this subject than Dr. Don McCarter, ever. And that, that, that goes way back to Calvin and the mall. I don't think I've ever heard MD better on this subject than Dr. McCarthy on this. He just nails it every single time. But he's so clear and so loving and so gracious when he does it. Outside the church, of course, they don't care about God's word. And in fact, use what's in it to further diss its valid validity and the authenticity. You know, it's, it's archaic. It's, it's utterly, it's utterly barbaric. It's, it's way out of the times. It's, it's dated. Well, it is dated. It's thousands of years old. But it's still relevant because God's the same today, tomorrow and forever. It's dated. It's a, in fact, it's abusive. So what the world would say is abusive. I was reading one of my favourite thinkers, teachers, Francis Schaeffer, this week as I studied. <coughs> and usually what I read during the week is usually in line with where I'm studying and the word. And I was, Schaeffer is, Schaeffer's a genius of a thinker for me. <coughs> An absolute genius of a thinker. He might not be everybody's cup of tea because He's a slow burner, but see if you're a thinker and you want to get to the pathology of things. See if you love psychology, you'll love Schaefer. And see if you, lo see if you love the process of things and if you love the pathology of things. Meaning if you love the process and how you get to the conclusions. And you love to watch how things unfold and start to deteriorate. Then Schaefer is phenomenal at that stuff. And uh, he's a genius. And, and his genius is this, is how he shares predominantly, and this is his great gift amongst other things, how he's able to share how culture and society infiltrates Christianity. How culture and society infiltrates Christianity. And then in turn, it creates new thoughts. Starting to create new thoughts in the mind of people that become then deep-rooted truths that overpower the word of God. I, I hope these are thinking this at this time because, and if you're not, I want to bring this to your mind at this moment, at this junction. Everything is attack on scripture, isn't it? <coughs> Don't you see that? Don't you see how this is an attack on scripture again and why we are so adamant in defending it? So they come to these amazing truths. But none of them rooted in the word of God. A woman preaching and becoming a preacher or a pastor in a church. You have to take out God's word in order to make that valid. Or you have to then decide that what Paul was saying or what was said in scripture was, no va was only valid for that time. Or indeed, which many in the Corinthians said, uh, and even the day say, it was just Paul's opinion. In Schaefer's five volume works, and they're no short, 350, 400 pages in each volume, five volumes. Schaefer approaches these subjects from angles that just make, I mean, I can read two pages of Schaefer and it can take me 35 minutes, 40 minutes, two pages. It's just where he takes your head because he just, he's got this amazing ability to walk you through what caused that downfall. It's He's phenomenal. Anyway, I, can't, I, can't, I cannot recommend him enough. He puts me in mind of, I kid you not, he puts me in mind of uh, William Farrell. For the back. That's what he puts me in mind of. Because he's got that fieriness in it. I think that's why he went to Libri and had his retreat, which is very near where Farrell actually preached. Anyway. I love it in a special sense because he doesn't just tell you the problem. But how if you don't catch it where it becomes? And you know when you end up in places and you wonder why, how did we end up here? He's able to catch it and take you through the whole pathology and say, this is why we've ended up here. Volume one of his uh, five volume set, the, the heading is, A Christian's View of Philosophy and Culture. In fact, these five, five volumes all start with a Christian view. So the first one is a Christian's view of philosophy and culture. Volume 2 is a Christian's view of the Bible and truth. Then it goes on to a Christian's view of spirituality. 
then a Christian's view of church, and then his last volume is his Christian's view of the West. Singular. <laughs> the West. Western society and Western culture. Anyway, in volume one, which I was studying, Schaefer writes this, and I wrote it in a post, and you might have read it and think, I'm not quite sure where he's got here. And if you did and you're not too sure, this furnishes it. He says this, humanism is the larger, more inclusive sense, and the larger, more inclusive sense is the system whereby men and women beginning absolutely by nothing but themselves try rationally to build out from themselves having only man as their integration point to find knowledge meaning and value end quote it's exactly what we see today in almost every sphere of society in order to navigate life men build out from themselves. Humans build out from themselves and only look to other people to decide what's acceptable and unacceptable in order to manoeuvre their values and their ideologies. Basically and simply, they're driven by their carnal desires and nothing else. There is no blueprint. If you look at young people today, you think, is their behaviour worse? I think their behaviour is worse younger. I think their behaviour is appalling at times. Because now it's person-centred therapy. It's what the child wants. You know, parents, I'll say this, and I'm, I'm, I'll say it here, people may listen. Uh, you have to train your children. You remember what we said a couple of weeks ago about how they're so pliable last week? You want to, apply, you want to be plying them with truths now? Because see, society, society will tell them that your truth is whatever you feel and whatever you want and whatever your truth is. You know, and, and they'll bypass a parent and ask the five-year-old, what do they want? What? A five-year-old, what do they want? Uh, what, what does the child, it's what the child wants. What does a child at five know about truth? Stop not even toilet trained fully at five. Still got a chronic speech impediment at five. But you can decide what you want. Schaefer says, men build from self and only look to other men and carnal things in order to set their compass of what's true. What sets your compass? What you like and what you like. It's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. If you're doing that, then why can we not do that? If it feels right, it's right. That's pragmatism. If it looks old-fashioned and no equal or fair, then it's outlawed. Schaefer makes a, a, a little diagram in his, in volume one, and it's like a staircase. And how it starts to downward spiral into society and norm. And the first thing he writes, at the, the, the first stair and the downward stair, this is the top landing. He writes the word philosophy, thinking. Thinking. Thinking how you think about things in the mind. Then he moves to art. Then that thinking gets into the arts. How we see art, how we see cultural art. Then it gets into the music. Look at the state of music today. And the lyrics. They're disgusting. Then it gets into the culture. And then it, and in the bottom state it says, says lastly, and then it's into theology. And see, when it gets into theology, it starts to override everything that's in the word. Because the culture's deciding it, man's thinking's deciding it, the art's deciding it, pop culture's deciding it. And everyone's now deciding it. And look, when that's deciding it, then anything goes. You may be wondering here, this is my introduction here, and it'll probably take up most of the time. But it's, it's giving you an insight, and it will give you an insight by the time I finish, before I even just share a few scriptures about what we're dealing with here. And when Schaefer uses that stairway, it's a perfect picture or a wonderful picture of how man and his rationality, poorly based in his own feelings and thinking, and drawn from nothing else other than his thoughts and feelings and his own conclusions and what he sees around about him. 
You hear kids saying this, well, my pal's doing it, what's wrong with that? We're all doing it. What a horrible statement that is. Everybody's doing it. What do you mean everybody's doing it? Well, everybody, you're no everybody. Yeah. Young people in the church here who think your mum and dad are party poopers, okay? Which is all do. I wish you were all sitting in the front row. I think we'll have a front row sitting youth Monday and Sunday so I don't need to scour the room. <laughs> trying to make eye contact with you. These are spread all over the place. Some of you's hiding. I think we'll have their use front and centre. And you start thinking your parents are party poopers. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, you're not everybody else, are you? You're not living by the principles. Oh. We're not allowing you to go to the bottom landing on theology here. We're going to get theology at the top landing and we're staying in the top landing. Drawn from none but others' thoughts and feelings and conclusions. And then it starts to infiltrate God's word. Until they make word, the word of God nil and void. And every decision and choice and value is out with God's word. Let me add at this junction and tell you brothers and sisters that just in case you get hijacked by just the roly women here or anything, we could, this junction here is just say this. The minute that you admit God's word for your decisions, trouble. Trouble. You're going to be out of sync for your purpose. And too often, you ever lie and justify it? Yeah. It's, a, it's an utter violation. You ever lie and justify it? Do you ever know you're not doing some right, but you've either, you've manoeuvred to a comfortable place of acceptance? You know what? You're you're now a shape of who you are, who your true identity is in Christ. You're now you're now you're now know who you were created to be. You know you know somehow you're you're disfigured, and you'll continue to be disfigured because you've got to then lie, you cover the lie, you cover the lie, you cover the lie, and you start to disfigure yourself. And you just go, well, I know that God's words no saying that, and I know I'm no submitting God's word, but can I tell you how I feel? No. You can tell me how you feel as long as you can, as long as you know that as soon as you do that, you're going to have to repent for being nothing like Christ. I know, but I can't hold it and I've got to say it. Whenever we omit God's word from our psyche, our thinking, our choices and our decisions, and start to process stuff and make choices and decisions, you're well on your way to making God's word invalid. And turning your whole life into a lie. Women's roles today are no formed by anything from God's word. Nothing. Almost nothing is formed from God's word. They are formed from thoughts. And feelings. And what society demands. Which is usually the world. And sinfulness. That demands its acceptance in the world. Many argue that Paul's thoughts in chapter 11 are simply his opinion. And therefore, only one man's opinion. You ever heard somebody saying that? That's your opinion. Is it? That's why we try and know of opinions here. And people say, oh, well, I don't really like what Mark says. I say, well, that's all right. You don't really like what Jesus or God's word says either then. You have to take it all with him because I'm not quoting what Mark thinks. It's the problem with God you've got. And see if you've got a problem with what saying, you've got a problem with God's word, you've got a problem. And you've got a submission problem. A surrender problem. And then where does that lead to? Therefore having our own thoughts and ideas on the subject are not as valid as Paul's. Your thoughts must be as valid as Paul's. How? Because it's only Paul's opinion. The word is no longer theononostes, it's no longer the God-breathed word, it's no longer the inspired word of God, it's just Paul's opinion. I was shown a video recently, I think in the last two weeks, where a female, um, I think they were gay, I don't know if they were gay, but I think they were gay. A female, gay, self-professed, and I'm saying self-professed because they can't possibly, said in the, the white robe on, and a quote, I quote this, word for word, what she said on a plat. I mean, I'm shocked that they would say it on a platform and not just die on the spot. I'm like, whoa. This is what they say, and I quote word for word what they said. 
I want to name something from the book of Corinthians. Talk about 1 Corinthians, I presume. You may have noticed that we left a part out. That's because, yikes, and Paul was being a jerk. End quote. So she says, that's what she said. Then she adds this. We want to look at how our traditions and scripture has been used to harm our siblings and be accountable for that. What she's saying is, we're changing scripture because we've got people in our life who are gay or homosexual and it doesn't make them feel good. So Paul's, yikes. I heard a woman in Dundee saying this and I could have wrung her neck. Metaphorically. <laughs> this is what I could have wrung her neck. A man should have wrung her neck. She said in the platform in front of men that Apostle, Apostle Peter was nothing but a little whippersnapper. I nearly rang her neck. I, 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 I really did. I, I, it still violates me to this day. A woman talking about an apostle like that. In fact, a woman talking in church, period. Shut your mouth for a start and I'll explain why. I'm not saying that a woman can't make an announcement or come up and even share a testimony. I think that's okay. In context. Yikes. Was the Paul's greatest moment when he said that? All right. Okay, so who, we'll listen to you. We're going to listen to you, the homosexual pre pastor, rather than Apostle Paul. Yikes, we're going to remove it because it doesn't really fit anymore. And that's exactly how the word is. That's exactly how it's abused. What's the Church of Scotland had today to have women pastors and preachers? They've had to go like that. Yikes. 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 That's what it had to do. And you know what? It just keeps on spiralling, doesn't it? It just keeps on spiralling. It just started with a little bit of compromise there. A little leaven, what? Yeah, it spoils the whole lump. That's what she said. Standing in the pulpit. Her, her standing in the pulpit is a no-go. But she's also dissed every bit of authority from Scripture in that moment. What does she decide to accept? If she disses that, what's okay? In order for her to feel good about her sin, her life choices. Under the guise, of course, is what? Love. She's doing what Schaefer warned and has happened. She's building out from herself by herself, to herself. When her values and guidance does not come from the word, then we start tampering with it and deciding what is inspired and what is man's own ideas, then we obliterate any of the godly guidance and the rest. This, this book is no longer valid. It's God breathed. It's profitable. Teaching, rebuking, exhorting, and building up in the things of God. Because the moment we don't like it, or the moment we want to satisfy our carnal desires, we admit it or say, well, that's no for today. Some people won't go as crass as saying it's no for today. I've even heard so-called reform people saying like that. Aye, but that's where you're at. I'm not at that stage yet. Right. Right, I, I, I'm not there yet. Right, so, so, so what with to let you sin until you're there? With to make it acceptable until you're okay with it? With to make it okay until you get to the stage you understand it? No, with to, with to change the truth because you're not at that stage or get that level of commitment or that level of knowledge. We've just to change everything. You might not be about that level of knowledge, but right is right and wrong is wrong and truth is truth and lies is lies and the word doesn't change. You might not have a deep enough understanding of it, but it doesn't permit sin. Which is really the go-to in many churches to justify women pastors, isn't it? They just need to remove the word. As in Corinth, some women were abusing the liberty and stepping outside of the word and being uncovered. Here we begin to talk about head coverings and no head coverings. You want to wear a hat in church, batter in. That's fine. Batter in, North Lancashire. So fine, you don't know. 
no, there's no talk, it's no talking about, it's no talk about physical. And there was physical then because that was cultural. It's not cultural now. And it was fine. No, if you're, I'll get into that. You're getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. Corinth was stating outside the word in many areas, not all. You had women in church abusing their liberty by uncovering their heads. And they were, they were physically uncovering their heads. They were taking their head covering off the scarf, which was symbolic that you're married or covered. And they would take them off and they would be walking about without any head covering on. And starting to preach and teach in the midst of the assembly. We had some men not given that equal value as well. I said that at the start. Uh, a man not treating a woman right does not mean a woman, a woman's role changes. It just means that he's a bad man. <laughs> and then you had the world around him. Remember Corinth, mighty Aphrodite, in the mountain there, many prostitutes and Corinth and what the prostitutes would eat, none of them were covered. How could men look at them if they were covered? They're a commodity, they had to be seen so they would take off their head covering so that men could see them, so they could sell themselves to them. Because they wanted people to see them as part of the sales pitch. I'm shocked, can I say this? <coughs> Tell you, I can understand why people want to bypass this. I am, I am shocked at what I see women dress like. I am shocked. And I'm going to say this, I'll say it. I've approached mature women in this church to have a word with some less mature women about what they're wearing. I'm like, have a word with them because I'm not sure that's fitting. What makes it more alarming here about what, what some women wear, and this is even in church, is that they're married. And it seems that their men don't notice. How sick's that? Talk about wanting to put that woman in a headlock. See that? That's weak. Weak, weak men who don't care about what their wife wears. That is disgusting. You don't, your wife's going out and you don't mind. <coughs> oh, but she's coming home to me. That would be some pathetic statement. You don't mind your wife wearing that? Letting her know that she's uncovered and available? In order to entice? Young girls going to school? You seen it? It's like an X-rated movie. <coughs> feeds their own flesh. Men don't mind it. it feeds their own flesh. Listen, what? Listen, I'll, I'll say this, and maybe I should have said if you've got young kids here, I'm sure they're in here. No, they're old enough because they're adult. No, they're old enough if there are no kids in here. What are you and your wife wearing the bedrooms up to you? What your wife wears to the supermarket around the night, it's a completely different matter. And what she wears to church, it's a hugely different matter. And yes, men, you have got a say in it. The problem is, is when you don't notice. I never noticed. You never noticed. So you stopped being a man? You never noticed? Oh, I'm getting in so much trouble here, I can tell right away. Feeding their own flesh? Or they're too childish, worldly, and self-consumed to even notice? I never noticed. What were you watching then? I was just too busy talking about me. I was too busy consumed with me. I never even noticed what my wife wore. It's very, very common for gay women to have men haircuts. For the back, you'd blah, I don't know if you're a man or a woman, you wouldn't know for the back. They have men haircuts. Yeah. Often wear male clothes. Isn't it? Fitbit tops and male clothes and you're like, right, you must be the guy. That's what I think. I try to be crude to you, you must be the guy. And then till you see your husband. Her husband, the other woman, she's a guy, you know. You don't know where you're at. What is that about uncovered? What is that? That's uncovered. This is uncovered. 
It's from being a woman and to have an opinion is to be abusive about it. Unloving. And listen, I need to say here, I'm in a pulpit here talking about truths. This is not the exact, and I'm preaching here. This is not the same as how we engage. Okay? I'm not engaging here. I'm preaching to believers truths of God's word. Okay? I'm not asking you to go away and preach like this to people. Understand? It's not the same. I mean, as so immature, we go, well, who said that? I'm really going for a woo woo. I'm not asking you to do that. You're not preaching. You've got to show grace and love and bring that truth in a way. You've got to fire that out just in case you want to go bulldog on us. So put them to say anything less is abusive. Women with men's haircuts. Tram lines or something like that. I don't know, did you still get that? I'm so out of date. Nothing, there's nothing more unfeminine than a woman with a man's haircut in you know. Really? That's out of reality, isn't it? We're just out of sync here. Totally out of reality. Come on, Mark. We've moved on from this archaic nonsense. You're a dinosaur. You're abusive. You're close-minded. You're a male chauvinist. No, it's biblical. It's a biblical argument I've got. No, it's one man's opinion. That's why the church is not reaching people. No, it's not. It's God's word. It's, 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 it's loving. It's caring. It's graceful. It's beautiful instruction on the male's role and the female's role. No value, but role. Today we've almost none of this. I was in a mall yesterday. I'd been working in my tent making job all week. I was knackered. I went to a mall. Probably shouldn't have went to the mall, but I went to a mall and I'm going through the mall and they were, you know, you get these pop-up shops in the mall in the middle. Sometimes they're selling, I don't know, doing eyes or something like that, doing eyebrows or something like that. Well, this one was selling, pop, it was a pop-up glasses, reading glasses, no, all glasses. Anyway, I was looking and there were this woman standing here. Wonderful. Hope they're listening. And she's standing here, right? So there's a, it's no one of the ones you could go and try on glasses, which is silly, isn't it? Having an optician that you can't try on glasses, that you need to ask them to pick them, like these sunglass shops, you're like, just let me try them on. So then they can have them, can have them, can have them. It's hard to pick glasses. You need to try about 50 pair on. Right, so you're, so I'm just looking, and I didn't need them, I was just looking. And then, uh, a couple of standing, she's standing like that, and she's taking photos of her man. Right, he's like that, right, she's taking photos of him. And I'm just here, and they've took over three counters. Three counters, like, there only is about seven counters of glasses. They've got the full three of them sending pictures to each other. And I just said, I said this, and I could tell she was manoeuvring. So it wasn't, I could tell she's not letting me in. And I says, can you excuse me and get in? Oh my goodness, you would, you would not believe what happened next. You'd think I'd locked the torch paper. And madness kicked in. We've been here, and then our man, st our man didn't pipe up to she piped up, or her son. I'll talk about that in a minute. And what happened is, is she just went off in one like a psychopath. And I'm looking at her like, calm down. And then he started as well after she started. And the two of them just went mental. And I was like, well, I said a few things. <laughs> I could have probably said it better, but he did shut up after it, which was handy. I just wasn't prepared for the barrage. And then the husband, as he mocked in. Do you know what I've seen? A wife with a wee child. That's all you ever see, in it? That's not all you ever see, that's what you see a lot, innit? Women with wee children. A guy that's married his mum. Like a wee imbecile. Boy. Out shopping with his mum. We know masculinity whatsoever. See if my wife behaved like that, if I was out, the man wouldn't need to say something to my wife, because I would say something to my wife. But that's what we've got today in society, haven't we? We've got women. Women getting married to children. Mummy's boys. Have no backbone and no strength. 
And this man was six foot three. And I've seen everything in him, but I dummied it. He was such a child. It was embarrassing. And see, the thing is, you see that everywhere. As women talk to their men like dirt and abusive. It's abusive. It's, 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 it's as far away from your role in society and, and God-given role as you could get. Does that no mean that sometimes that your wife's more intelligent than you? Yes, she can be. Does that no mean that she may be a Christian and more godly than you? Yes, she can be. And we've addressed this before. But that does not mean to say that they're over you. In any way, shape or form. And if you've got a habit, but you didn't think you were going to get this this morning. If you're in the habit of talking to your man <coughs> like a child, then repent and stop it right now. Because you're no helping him. And it could be a wee drip drip effect to making him fr frightened. And a wee drip drip effect to making him subordinate. And it ain't helping. And society's doing it all the time. I do work in the tent making job and often I go to jobs, I'll not get into detail. I go to jobs and I, I have, the man has no saying anything here. Nothing. No, I'm not saying that a woman shouldn't run the household, that's fine. But the man has almost got no saying nothing. Well, don't ask me. Don't ask me. She's the boss. Ask the boss. See when I hear some man say, don't ask me, ask the boss. I'm like, oh my goodness. In myself, I'm like, oh my goodness. But what I'm thinking is, and what we should be thinking is, he needs Jesus. They need to get, they need to get Christ at the centre of their marriage, for heaven's sake. See, all the time, go to work. Man's like a lap dog. That's what I seen yesterday. A lap, a, a lap dog and a Rottweiler at Shaw. And the woman was a Rottweiler. <laughs> See, everywhere, bossiness. Wife's becoming horrible bossy. Co-worker bosses. I can categorically tell you this. Here, no opinion. I can categorically tell you this. I could not work where a woman was my boss. I could not work under a woman that was my boss, ever. Now that doesn't mean to say that a woman wouldn't be more gifted than me. I wouldn't be more talented than me in certain areas. I would not work where a woman is a boss. It would be a violation to me and a violation to them. Where a woman was a boss. I'm archaic, eh? How you touch with society? Do you think so? I could not work. No wonder John Knox walked along the Golden Mile, the Royal Mile. And if you ever go to Holyrood, which is worth a visit, you can actually get in, you can do a tour of Holyrood. You can actually get a season ticket, it's much cheaper. But you can go, go on a one-off, you can get into Holyrood, and you can actually just, in fact, just walk from St Giles to Holyrood, right? Just walk to St Giles to Holyrood and walk down the Royal Mile. You're walking right in the footsteps of John Knox, and you're walking right there, walk right into Holyrood, Book your ticket, get right in, and you can get right into the chamber where Mary Queen of Scots lived when she was a head, where Mary Queen of Scots lived there when she was a queen, and she's there, a young woman, she was there. And then you can trace the footsteps of John Knox walking right into your room and having a chat with her saying, you need to get up your monarchy because you shouldn't be a woman in charge. Dead, dead trendy, innit? What I just said there, eh? Trendy. True. I could not work under a woman boss. I would feel violated because I could not talk to her the way I would normally talk to a man. I don't debate with women in uh, social media or anything. I just refuse. I just don't debate. As soon as it's a woman, I just like, don't debate. Put your man on. I remember years ago, I was in a lift in Dubai. The lift doors open, beautiful lift. I don't know what floor is on. Beautiful lift, lift doors open. These things, you could sleep in these lifts, eh? Well, it's better than a single end. Old-fashioned tale. It's a wee room and kitchen. <laughs> For you that don't know what a single end is, it's a wee room and kitchen. Or studio flat. <laughs> and the doors open, and there was this young couple, Arab, Arab couple standing. He had his Arab outfit on, immaculate. And as soon as I walked into the lift, the woman turned her back and faced that way. The man talked very pleasant to me. Just was talking away, just talking very pleasantly. And then the lift doors opened, they turned around and they walked away and I never said anything. I consequently heard, I think it was over the space of time looking at the cultures and that, that they were engaged to be married, the couple. 
And that was her respecting her husband by no drawing her attention or looking at a man and showing respect. Now we could argue about we can argue about the false teaching of Islam all day long. But I've always I always kind of respected it. Because I, I I get I get I get it. Now we could we could argue, you know, because but no, that's just oppression and there is much oppression there amongst Islam and it really is. And you could argue that that's maybe a bit a bridge too far. To an extent, maybe. But it left an impact on me and I thought, you know what, I get that. I get that. And I think I would rather have that than somebody coming into a lift wearing almost nothing and flaunting in front of a man that's no her husband. What would you rather have? I know what some of you are saying into yourself, I'd rather have the other thing. There lies your problem. Anyway, better move on here. As I say, we could argue all day about the culture. But in a sense, it's a pity we've lost all sight of any chivalry, any form of honour and respect, or any form of that in Western society and culture completely, because we've lost it completely. Yeah. I'm going to fire some out here. We're not talking about women going out for a meal together. What about Western society where women go out a night out without their husband? What is that? What is that? Wonder why they're mere divorces now. They're, they're one there. Listen, I'm talking to believers and brothers and sisters in Christ here. I'm not talking to the world. The world thinks I have went mental. Over the next few weeks, that's my introduction. Over the next few weeks, we need to draw from much of what's said in these next verses. Don't lose sight of the introduction, though, because I can't get through it every week. Okay, let's read the full 16 verses. I think it's 16 verses. On this hotly contested subject, I will, I will only be, I'll only exegete two verses for time's sake, just, just in case you think we're going through 16 here. And let's glean what God says. Okay, that's where we're going to get our answers for. What God says about biblical women. Uh, the subheading is the biblical role of men and women. I would have liked it to be a wee bit more controversial. But that's good enough. Okay. We're not going to go for verse 1. Because verse 1 was part of chapter 10 as we know. But we'll go for verse 2. Now I praise you brethren that you, are, you remember me in all things. And keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonours his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonours her head. For that is one of the same as if the head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of women, nor women independent of man in the Lord. For as women came from man, even so man also comes from women. But all things are from God. Judge among yourself, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach us that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonour to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is... Given to her for covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious. We have no such custom. Nor do the churches of God. Amen. Praise God for his word. That is the verses we will be unpacking. In the next few weeks. And that as I said. Was just a, 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 an introduction. Uh, let me just cover. As time goes. Just a couple of verses. So that we can get momentum going. Paul says, verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions 
just as I delivered them to you. And the opening statement is good because it lets you know that Paul's moving on in the subject. He's moving on to another subject. He's also been gracious in saying, you know what, I know many of you follow this and we're grateful for that. No, I know that everybody was a rogue or a rebel in Corinth. Um, but also, I love that Paul's not carrying any baggage for the previous subject. Don't you love that? He's not actually carrying baggage and then bringing it to the next subject. He's just drawing the line under it. I'm going on to another subject he's teaching us, which is obvious that, you no, know, in the letter that was sent to him, there would have been some talk of this and in the letter for the household of Chloe, they would have mentioned what's happening here with women. There's two of them. Some of them it's went to their head and they're, they're liberating themselves that much and they're starting to preach and teach in the, in the assembly and all sorts. He starts with we, we are praise because no Corinthians, I says, were disobedient. And many held those teachings. I think also as well as, I think Dr. MacArthur says, I'll paraphrase it, I think it's good to start with something nice before you get into something brutal. But since you've had the brutal for the first 25 minutes, I don't know the mama. Verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. This is a profound, this is a profound statement here. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. What's profound here about this? Just in case you think it's opinion or culture, look where Paul has placed the importance here. Look where he's placed the importance. He's placed the head of woman is man. Where has he placed it? In between the head of man is Christ and the head of Christ is God. If it was only opinion or if it was only cultural, I certainly wouldn't have placed it in between those two absolute absolutes. What is vital in these verses is that Paul tells us the role of women to men and he tells it in a way and he writes in a way that tells us it's every bit as important as the role that man has towards Christ and the role that Christ has towards God. The heady man is Christ. The heady Christ is God. The heady woman is man. It's, it's got that level of value. So when we just go, that's for the times. Why write that there? You would have left the other two. Paul puts the, therefore the role and relationship between women and man and sandwiches it between two absolute pillars. And if you sandwich that between two pillars like that, you know that it's got the exact same authority and weight. The head of man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. And sandwiched right in the middle is the head of woman is man. You can't mess with that. You, you, can't take, you can't rip them apart. They're, they're all part of the same sandwich. Which is the role of women when it comes to who's the head? It's no longer open for change. Or it was no longer, can't you say, it was just for a, a time or a place in society. No one is sandwiched between the two. Why not have as a standalone thing out with other authorities or heads like Christ and God? The reason is because it's as important and carries the same standard of truth and should be adhered to and submitted to in the exact same way. For them that say, well, this passage is just directed to the Corinth women as they were unruly and going rogue. So what one of the arguments is in the modern church and much of the churches, Paul was addressing unruly Corinthian women, no generalised role in women. So therefore, it's no longer valid. It was only valid to... Well, why did you know just say then? I mean, is Paul, is Paul a guy who just miscommunicates? We're in, chapter, we're in chapter 11, and we've been in First Timothy, we've been in Second Timothy, we've been through the book of Acts, we've been through much. I've not seen him miscommunicating yet. So if that was the case, is he miscommunicated? If it was to the Corinth only, would you know if says... Now, I'm not saying this to the whole church, but the unruly in Corinth, but he doesn't. He says, he gives the example of Christ and man, and he gives the example of Christ and God. The another example of this, just in case you're wondering, in case you think it's Corinthians, here, here it is, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14. Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is where? In Ephesus. He's no in Corinth. So he's writing to a different guy, about a different situation in a different church. 
What does he give as an example? Watch this. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Then is the example. He, here, here, is the, here is the clincher. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not de deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. If that was only for a time and a place, why revert back to the beginning of time? If that was only for a time and a place, why then? Why is he giving Timothy the same instruction to how the women should be in Ephesus as he is in Corinth if it was only a problem and it's not a universal role in which we should be attained? So you see, which is a common argument for making Corinthian issue, and this is what justifies women leading in church, preaching in church, speaking to men and teaching in church. It was a Corinthian issue and an argument. Because the Corinthian women were abusing the role. The Corinthian women were abusing the role. But Paul's still given an overall principle. And not just sharing that individual argument. I hope you find this help. Because people will ask you this stuff. And this is your go-to. No, it's just no right. I'm telling you, it's just no, you can't be. That's not enough. You need biblical clarity in why you're saying it. You hear Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy about the biblical role. He uses man and woman's intended function from the garden. No, from current culture or society. The current culture and society was no the same as in the garden. But it's the same principle. Okay, let me close with this. And this is me, minus one. I said at the beginning that Dr. MacArthur is, for me, one of the great exponents of this subject. I really believe that, for me. And for that reason, I was going to write this down in my iPad and, and quote it. It's just a wee bit wordy. I mean, it's, it's not that wordy. It's got to take longer than about 40 seconds. But I didn't, want to, I didn't want to just spend time writing it down, so I just wanted to read it from his commentary. Maca MacArthur's got MacArthur. John MacArthur's commentaries are, are, are taken for sermons. You can, you, can, you, can read it, you can listen to it or you can read it if you've got grace to you. But this is what he says and it's phenomenal. I'm not saying that there's no stuff in his commentary that's not in his sermon, just to add. Okay, this is what he says. And this just sums up the whole subject here and we'll move on to it next week about, you know, can a woman prophesy, can a woman pray? Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't say in church. If it was in church, it would say, in church? Why would you leave the word? But as, as Dr. McCallum says, why leave the word church out? Well, I, they can pray and prophesy, but no in church. Can a woman preach to a man? Yeah, but no in the midst of the assembly in church. Two women, yeah, in a women's meeting, yes. To children in Sunday school, yes. To men. Let me ask you this and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. It's a rhetorical answer question. You don't need to answer me back. Everything that I've spoke about today, how would you feel? I'm talking to the women here in this house. How would you feel if it was a woman up here talking to your man like this? How would you feel if there were a woman up here talking to your husband in the way that I'm talking to you? Really? Would you be alright with that? I think you'd be like, I think in order to protect women's hearts, I think every single one of you would have a resentment. And you wouldn't be happy about how a man, how a woman was talking to a man. I mean, I think it's a violation when sometimes the way I hear, I've already addressed it, the way I hear women talking to men. Listen, it's a violation the way I hear men talking to women as well. And we'll get into that as well. You know, we're not, we're not trying to make women no equal. We're talking about roles and we'll get into this. But see, when you start messing with biblical truths and changing it to suit the culture and modern society, the church is in a downward spiral, which we're seeing, in a serious downward spiral. And that's where we're at today. MacArthur writes this. This is based on the whole lot, but really verse 3, but it's just amazing. It's more or less the whole lot, but anyway. It seems that most of the fads and misconceptions of the world eventually find their way into church. 
Worldly Christians continue to try to find ways to justify their worldliness. If possible, on the basis of scripture. Try new scripture if they could, eh? Christian feminists appeal to such passages as Galatians 3.28. There is neither male nor female. One, or 1 Peter 3.7. And grant her honour as a fellow here of the grace of, grace of life. To disprove, then he goes on, to disprove the idea that husbands are to have authority over their wives and that wives should be submissive to their husbands. That's how they do it, to diss it. Not to mention that the idea that women in general are to be submissive to men in general. But it's impossible, honestly, to interpret what Paul says as being supportive of any contemporary feminism. He is therefore often charged as being a male chauvinist, glad he's wrote that, who frequently taught his own, pre his own prejudices instead of God's word. End quote. In fact, I really need to read another wee bit and then I will, I will go into it because it was just another wee bit there that I, I feel as if I need to read. He then says this. But he makes no distinction between men and women as far as personal worth, abilities, intellect, or spirituality is concerned. We're not making a distinction in that aspect. Both as human beings and as Christians, women in general are completely equal in men spiritually. Some women obviously have an even greater are even superior to some men in abilities, intellect, maturity, and spirituality. God established the principle of male authority and female subordination for the purpose of order and complementarianism, not on the basis of any innate superiority of males. An employer may be more, in, in, more intelligent and more skilled than his boss. But a company that cannot be run without submission to proper authority. Even if some of those in authority are not as capable as they ought to be. Meaning, we don't care if you're more qualified than a woman and a man. It's not your right role. It's what we're saying. Elders and deacons are to be chosen from amongst, and I love this bit, from amongst the most spiritual men in the congregation. But there are many other men in the church who may be even more spiritual. Yet, of the very reason that they are spiritual, those who are not in the position of leadership will submit equally to those who are. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.